morning, Southbridge. I'm glad that you are able to join us today. If you are a guest, just like Pam said at the beginning of the service, she was talking about our women's retreat coming up. If you would just take a moment right now in your worship program, there's a connection card. If you just take a moment, fill out that connection card. Let us know that you were here on your way out when you drop it at the orange tent. Uh, we've got a gift for you and some information about the church that we'd love to, to be able to hand to you today. And so if you'd please take a moment and do that while you're doing that. We've got an announcement for our church that's a pretty exciting time. We've had uh, nine great years here at the movie theater, but as many of you know, uh, this past Easter, after we had done three services, God moved in a, a special way. On Easter Sunday, I was standing on the lobby with a couple other of our pastors, and the general manager for the theater walked up, and uh, was more jovial than she had ever been with me before, and kind of joking around and trying to be all friendly. And, and she said, hey, we're renovating the movie theater, and uh, you should probably think about renegotiating the contract here so you can pay less money. I said, well, what does that mean? She said, those big comfy seats. And so that's going to be great. And just as a kind of a side announcement, uh, next week you're going to get to sit in those big comfy seats because we're going to be moving the adult, they're going to be renovating this room. We're going to be moving our adult uh, worship experience over to the other side. And uh, we're going to sit in some of those comfy seats. Don't enjoy them for too long, though, because there's not enough of them for all of us. And so we're going to cram some chairs, fold up chairs all throughout the place and try and create enough seats. And we'll have the, the video venue will probably be more full than ever before. And so just come on time if you want to be not in the video venue. And uh, we, we uh, found that news out. We knew it wasn't going to work for us. And so more than just renegotiating our contract, several leaders in our church started to look around our community uh, for places that we could meet. Uh, different folks in the congregation, perhaps you, sent us emails and told us, hey, well, I drove by this building. What about this place? Have you ever considered? And it's kind of discouraging for us at first because most of the places we had already looked at because we outgrew the movie theater, oh, I don't know, three, four, five years. I can't remember when it was. We've been outgrowing the movie theater for a while now. And so we felt like we looked at these places. There was one place we hadn't looked at before because it didn't exist. They were building it. There's a junior high, a middle school, depending on where you're from and what you call it, that was being built right off of 540, uh, one exit from here off of Leesville Road called Pine Hollow Middle School. And so we've had some connections with different folks. Some of you have done outreach before, feeding the teachers at Sycamore Creek and Briar Creek Elementary and some of those things. And so we had some contacts there. We started to talk to them. We didn't know middle schools even had auditoriums in them. We thought it would just be like a gym. And we started to get to know this school, and they had other people that were interviewing for meeting there on Sundays, but they selected us. And so it's with, uh, yeah, <laughs> praise the Lord for that. Um, so when the Lord, you know, closed the door for us being here, we, we were discouraged in that moment, but he had it all worked out the whole time. And so, you know, officially, uh, just letting you know where this place is at, we're going to be moving from here. If you're a guest today, don't show up from, like, don't go visit three or four other churches and come back here. We won't be here. Uh, but we're going to move on August 28th. It's going to be our first Sunday at Pine Hollow Middle School, which will give you a little picture of where it's at. We are over here where it says uh, Creek Club there. <laughs> That's the way Google Maps worked over there on the left, uh, the A spot. Um, drive, get on 540. There's other ways to get there, but if you get on 540 and drive over to Leesville, uh, Leesville Road exit, there's a, there's a lot of pharmacies there if you're wondering if you're at the right exit. Uh, turn right at the CVS Pharmacy, and it's back in there. You can see the school on the map there. It is, if you pop it into your GPS, it'll tell you it's about four miles away, 4.1 miles. takes about six minutes or seven minutes, depending on where you're coming from. If you guess if you're coming from the other direction, it's closer. Um, but if you live here in Briar Creek, which I know a lot of folks do, um, it's hop on 540 and go one exit away, and you'll be at the Leesville Road exit there. And just to give you some preview of what the school is like, um, we'll probably put some pictures up on Facebook and things like that too, but I'll show you a couple this morning. They do have an auditorium. And so we have some pictures of the auditorium. There it is. I'll actually be able to see you, I think, <laughs> in, in this auditorium. And we're excited about this place. It's brand new. Those seats will not be as comfortable as the ones we'll be in next week. So don't get too spoiled. Um, hopefully these will help keep you awake a little bit longer into the sermon. 
But the good news about the seats here is, that especially when we put some chairs in there too, there's about 100 more of them than there are in this auditorium that we're in right now at the movie theater, which that means more than just we can have 100 more people come to our church. Remember, our vision's not changing just because our location's changing. And what's our vision? Some of you have been here for a while. is to connect people to Jesus Christ so they can experience life change. And so what that means is every person that sits in those seats, hopefully God will change their lives for eternity. Some of them for salvation. Some of them taking the next step of faith. God began a good work in them. He's going to continue to do that work, and hopefully he'll do it through us, and he'll spread God's glory around this city so we can be a city on a hill and see Jesus' light shine. And so 100 more seats is exciting to us, but not just for capacity in an auditorium, but so that more lives can be changed. And so you see that. We've got another, some other pictures, I believe, on the slides there. I think the next picture is some classrooms. The classrooms are obviously going to be easier uh, to convert than a movie theater is to convert for children's ministry. And so there's a lot of classrooms there, uh, more than enough for the space that we need for our Bridge Kids ministry and our SYU student ministry with junior high and senior hires. And so we'll convert some of those classes. There's the cafeteria. Uh, those tables will all fold up. And it's right outside the theater, actually. And so it's going to be function like our lobby, we believe. Uh, obviously, we'll figure some things out once we're there. But right out in our lobby right now, you know, they've got that huge monstrosity that sells popcorn. I know there's like three or four of you that buy popcorn <laughs> as you leave. I apologize. We will not have popcorn anymore. It will no longer be our incense as you leave here and think about worship. Said it'll smell like cafeteria pizza. I don't know what it'll smell like, but we'll come out there and we'll do our group expos out there, our volunteer expos. We're going to have an opportunity for you to hang out. And one of the big things that's going to be a blessing is that we've, here at the movie theater, there's this pressure to get out of here. And whether it's sad or not sad, you see people tearing down signs and movies are starting, people are walking in with big tubs of soda and all that stuff. Uh, when we go to the school, we're not going to have to get out by noon like we do here. And so whether it's baptisms or fellowship afterwards or just a Sunday where you want to linger and hang out with people, we've reserved the school until 2 p.m., and so we believe life change happens beyond just this room that we're in when we're preaching the word and listening to song, you know, singing songs and listening to testimonies and baptizing and all that stuff. It happens a lot of times just when you're walking out together and somebody tells you a burden and you carry each other's burdens or you sense that somebody's not living for the Lord and you confront them with truth. And so when we have relationships that are grounded in the Bible, and life change happens through that. We sharpen each other and encourage each other and lift each other up and uh, that's what we're hoping we'll have some space for. I told the first service that when we first were meeting as a, a church, that's a core group of people, about 40 people, we met in a country club, and the stipulation for being there is we had to pay for some food. We didn't have to pay for the room. And we would have a service at 10 o'clock, and we'd go from 10 o'clock to like 11, 11.30. And then people would hang out afterwards. And I think it was not just because the eggs and the bacon was so good. It was really good over there. But it was because they wanted to talk with each other. And we're going to have space for that to happen again at this place. And so we're excited about being able to move. And so here's some of the, the facts of the moving. And so if you want to take notes or whatever, we'll put this on the website, send it on email. If you know people that aren't here, please tell them to actually check their email over the next couple of weeks. Um, August 28th will be our first Sunday over there. But it's not, we're not inviting the whole public to come. We're going to do it kind of like we're a church plant again. And so we're just a big church plant. And you're all at a core group. Unless you're new today, we'd love to have you come back. But if you're part, if you're part of this church, you're part of the core group, and so we're going to go over there on August 21st after the service is here, and we're going to see how this works. So if you're on a team, you know, you're on the Bridge Kids team or the setup team or the prayer team or the parking lot team, we're really going to have to amp up the parking lot team, different stuff, your small group leader, all that stuff. We're going to go over there, and we're going to see how this works and try and work out some of the kinks and figure it out. And then August 28th is going to be our first time. Be incredibly gracious with us, please, as we're trying to serve and do that. On September 11th is going to be when we invite the community, and it's really like the launch of us being at this new place. And so you're invited to be part of that. Even if today is your first time here, can you do? there's one thing I want to ask you to do. Usually I only do this to just say fill out the card, but I'm going to ask you to do something else. 
Tell people in the community because we've kind of got a reputation for, oh, that's the church that meets at the movie theater. And so we serve the firemen and we do something at the school. And like, oh yeah, that's the church that meets at the movie theater. And then if some of them come here at some point, maybe there'll be another church here. Maybe it'll be a mosque. Like, I don't know what's going to end up happening here. It's not going to be us. And so we want them to know that we've moved. And so we're moving to Pine Hollow Middle School. And when we move, so not next week, get this. I have a good one of our elders, Alan Folkrod, a communications major at NC State. He always tells me, communication is a receiver phenomenon. I know the words that are about to come out of my mouth. I have no idea what's going to happen by the time they hit your ears. But on August 28th, we're going to change the service times to 9.15 a.m. and 11 a.m. You can do what we do here and show up early. That's fine. We'll find something for you to do. But don't come next week at 11 o'clock for our 10.30 service and 9.15 for our 9 o'clock service. And so some of you, maybe you're here today because you're like, nine's just too early. I'll go to the 9.15. We'd love to have you. But the, the second service will start at 11. That's going to give us some more space between services for relationships and things to happen as well. And so that's what's happening with the announcement of the new location. Spread the word. We're going to have new opportunities for volunteering. If you would like to be a part of this, maybe you've always just been somebody who's attended our church out in the lobby. After the service today, we've got our bridge team set up. Our bridge team are people like, if you check on your card, I'm interested in serving or volunteering. It goes to the bridge team. The bridge team are some folks that are gifted in connecting people where their sweet spot is. Where's your giftedness? What are you passionate about doing for the kingdom? And how are you going to impact our body with that? And then getting you connected on the other side of that. So how can you get connected? Go to the bridge team. You want to be moved from being a consumer that just comes to our church and be a contributor, be part of it. Go to the bridge table after the service and we'll have plenty of opportunities for you to serve. And then we're going to be in Mark today too. So let me pray. And we'll jump into the book of Mark. Father, thank you um, that... Even when things seem like, oh, what are you doing? Why would you do that? And we're frustrated about maybe not having a place to meet or not being able to have even the people that are already coming have seats to come. And that you, were, you already knew. You already knew where we'd be. You are sovereign. And uh, you tell us. In Ecclesiastes 7.14, you tell us. When things are good, be happy. When things are bad, know that you're sovereign over that too. And we trust your sovereignty. I know there are people here today that they're probably doing better in their life than they've ever been doing before, and we rejoice with them. And there are people here that are hurting, and we mourn with them. And God, will you just touch each one of us? Will you show your presence to us? Will you open our hearts to your word, and will you speak to us this morning as we, we try to live this life by faith? And there's some that are maybe skeptics. I pray you bring them to faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, Mark chapter 8 is where we're going to be today. Today is really a continuation from last week's message. And so I'm just going to pick up where we're at last week. I'll give you a little review. If you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to just go to, go to the app. and uh, Not right now, but go to the app after the service. Listen to last week's message. Here's the summary of what it was about. It was about understanding God's plan. And we said this, that you can't understand God's plan unless you understand God's power and God's person. You've got to understand God's power and his person if you're going to understand his plan. So if you're frustrated to understand his plan, but you don't understand his power, you don't understand the person of Jesus Christ, you can't understand his plan. And if you were here last week, you may remember I shared with you how frustrating it is. There's lots of things in life we don't understand, but how frustrating it is when you, you're trying to walk by faith and you want to do what God wants you to do and, and you don't understand what he's doing. I told you a little bit about how June was a rough month for me. And it wasn't like one specific tragedy, but there was a bunch of stuff that kind of piled up on each other. And, uh, you know, I hit a deer, really bad news for the deer, and almost totaled my car. And uh, then after that, I had a rental car that broke down. And then after that, I got stuck in an airport, got an accident with the next rental car, and switched them out again, dropped my phone in the toilet. It was just a mess of time. And after I dropped my phone in the toilet, I finally looked to the heavens and said, God, what are you, I'm listening. Like, just tell me what it is. 
I just didn't understand what it was. And some of you know what that's like. Why are things going this way in my job? You don't understand. Why, why God? I mean, I'm being faithful. I'm doing these things. Why is this happening? Why, is it, why am I still single? I want to be married. I don't think I have the gift of singleness. And some of you, so why, why is it that my marriage is bad? And why are these things happening? Why are the kids acting this way? What about my finances? And what about health? And you want to walk with the Lord, but you're just not clear on what the next step is. And so today we're talking about part two, understanding God's plan. Like I said, if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 8, um, and just as by way of review, last week what we looked at were verses 1 through 13. Today we're going to look at, Lord willing, verses 14 through 26. In verses 1 through 13, what happened is we talked about understanding his power, and we looked at a miracle, which was a repeat miracle. It was the feeding of the 4,000. And back in chapter 6, we saw the feeding of the 5,000. And here, the disciples didn't get it when he fed the 5,000, so he does it again. He feeds the 4,000. They still don't get it. He's demonstrating his power. And then we see him put his person on display in verses 11 through 13. These Pharisees, we've seen the Pharisees so many times. The Pharisees have these confrontations with Jesus. They're already plotting his death. And they're coming, and they don't understand who he truly is. Because he's not the Messiah they would like to create. He's not the Messiah they want him to be. And so they end up coming and presenting a a situation for him. Just show us a sign. And if you show us a sign, then we won't have to have faith. We can believe and you'll do our bidding. We want you to be basically our personal assistant who has supernatural power to do everything we want you to do. And they try to create a Messiah and live without faith. And we know from Hebrews 11:6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. They didn't understand his person. So they can't understand his plan. And we pick up in verse 14 today. The disciples still won't get his plan. And we see it from the very first words in verse 14, if you have your Bible, Mark chapter 8. Disciples had forgotten to bring bread, which is funny because at the end of the feeding, they had seven baskets full. They were huge hampers is what they were. They were big enough to hold a, a, a human, a grown man. They forgot to bring bread, except for one loaf, like one of them puts that in their pocket on the way out. And then look what happens. They had it with them in the boat. So they're in a boat. And then Jesus says in verse 15, be careful. Some of your texts say, beware. Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Verse 16, they discussed with one another and said, it's because, it's because we don't have any bread. He's talking about yeast. It's not why. Look at the next verse. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Verse 18, do you have eyes but fail to see, ears but fail to hear, and don't you remember? We'll just pause right there for right now. Here we've got the disciples that are in a boat again. Every time we see the disciples in a boat, in the Gospel of Mark, they don't understand what's going on. Remember in Mark chapter 4, there was a storm. Uh, The title of that message was that Jesus is stronger. We were doing a series on Jesus being stronger. Jesus is stronger in the storms of life. And they're in this boat. They're professional fishermen. The storm is just madness. they're, They're crying out like terrified little kids. And they look up to the front, professional fishermen, and Jesus is sleeping. And so they mistake his calmness and trust in God's sovereignty for his indifference. And so they cry out, don't you care if we drown? And Jesus gets up. And do you remember how easy it was for him? Shh, wind, shh, waves. He calms the wind and he calms the waves. And then they say, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Jesus asked the question, why do you still have no faith? They didn't understand. 
And then chapter 6, what happens? He feeds the 5,000 plus women and children. There's 5,000 men plus women and children. There might have been 10,000 people there. And he had basically a Lunchable that he got from a little boy in the crowd. He passes it out, and there's food left over. And then he sends the disciples in a boat without him. They go off on their own. They're in a storm again. Now we see another storm. And Jesus comes walking to them in the water. Kind of like how Jesus will use the storms of our life to walk as footsteps into our lives. He comes walking to them. They're terrified. He finally gets in the boat with them. And then Mark tells us the reason why they're so freaked out in this situation is because they didn't understand about the loaves. Mark chapter 6, verse 52. For they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Oh, we see that right here in this passage of Scripture. And what just happened? He just fed the 4,000. They didn't understand. They get in the boat. They start arguing about who, who didn't bring bread. Why is it we only have one loaf of bread? There's 13 of us. That's not enough bread. They don't understand who's with them in the boat. They don't understand God's plan. And what we see in our passage of Scripture today are some obstacles or some dangers to understanding God's plan. And then we see a glorious truth about understanding God's plan. And that's your outline today. It's two dangers that hinder us from understanding God's plan. Then one glorious truth about understanding God's plan. The first of the two dangers is this, the danger of unbelief. And we see it as you go to the text. In verse 14, you know, they're talking about the fact that they only have one loaf of bread. Then verse 15, right away, Jesus says, be careful. Or some of your translations say, beware. Kind of like you walk up to somebody's house and says, beware of dog. <laughs> you might get attacked. There's a warning. Here it is. Beware. Be careful. Jesus, then the next word is, warned them. The tense of that word in the Greek indicates that this is something that didn't just happen once, but it happened again and happened again and happened again. And so while they're in this boat with Jesus, he keeps on warning them. And what does he say? Watch out. Danger. It's like Jesus is setting the alarm off. Beware, be careful, danger, watch out. So we probably should pay attention if Jesus is warning us. Because you read these passages of Scripture, you go back and you read the first seven chapters of Mark, and Jesus doesn't do this very often. But lots of stuff happens. And then you start to think about that theologically. What do we know to be true about Jesus? We know that Jesus, remember a few weeks ago when I talked about how personal Jesus is, how he knows our thoughts before we think them. He knows our words before we say them, Psalm 139. That's interesting that Jesus is omniscient, but he's not continually warning people. So he knows, he knows that if you're, if you're about to trip and fall, he knows and you're about to say something really stupid, and we all do. I can testify. He knows when you're about to get into a car accident, when you're about to hit a deer, he knows when you're about to drop your phone in the toilet, he knows, he knows all these things. But you don't see him saying, Peter, you can't walk on water by yourself. Don't stop trying to do that. We never see him warning that. Hey, John, you're about to, don't go out there. Nope, nope. Oh, you're going to fall. Mm -hmm. So we don't see Jesus warning very often. So when he does, we should probably pay attention. What is he warning about? And it's being emphasized here. Be careful. He warned, watch out. Look at the verse. The verse tells us what he's warning about, not me. Watch out for what? The yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. What's he talking about with yeast? Well, we could be like the disciples. I think it's because they were talking about bread and they forgot bread that that's why Jesus is talking about yeast. No, he's using it like a teacher to take something that's happening right in that moment and then to make a spirit, apply a spiritual truth with it. You see in the next verse, after this, verse 16, they think it's about the bread. He says, why are you talking about bread? This isn't about bread. So when he's warning them about yeast, what is he saying? Well, if you read throughout the, the Gospels and throughout even the Old Testament, what you see is that yeast is a Jewish metaphor used to talk about, it's almost always bad, but it's used to talk about a small, invisible or almost invisible 
influence that's very pervasive, and though it's small, it has a huge impact. And so you hear verses like this, a little yeast leavens the whole loaf. It'll just put a little bit in, and the whole loaf will rise. And it's oftentimes in reference to evil and to sin. Jesus is given a warning, danger, danger here. Watch out, be careful. Warning, there's something small in your life that's pervasive and has a huge influence. And it's dangerous. It's kind of like some of you uh, probably been watching the Olympics. The Olympics started this weekend, if you didn't know that. And uh, the different things are going on in Rio. You learn about Rio history. One of the articles I read online, and every time I've seen an Olympics, they always talk about how the place, whether it's Sydney or wherever it's at, they're not ready. Like the railways aren't ready or whatever's not ready. And for the Rio article that I was reading, it was talking about how dangerous the water is. Think about substances you can't see. And they, they said that they've known this for a long time. It was an AP article. You can find it in the Washington Post. They said in that article that the water there one year ago hasn't gotten any better. In fact, some people say that it's gotten worse. One year ago when they tested it, it was 1.7 million times worse than what we would consider dangerous here in the United States or in Europe. The recommendation that one of the experts in the article made to these athletes, there's going to be about 1,400 athletes that will be in this water. Not talking about the pool, talking about the, the beaches in the water. So triathletes and sailors and all these people. The recommendation was don't put your head underwater. <laughs> I've trained my whole life for this triathlon. I think I'll doggy pedal. <laughs> like think about that for a minute. And they say in the article, it's probably going to be an exposure too because some of it gets in the sand to about 300 to 500,000 different tourists that will be in Rio. It'll be in the sand. Kids just playing in the sand. They don't know they're in danger. You can't see it. But they said as little as three teaspoons could cause significant illness. It'll be different for every person based on your immune system and all those things, and they can't predict exactly what happened, but it could be fatal. They talk about bleeding on the brain. That's dangerous. So if I said to you, hey, uh, on your way out, just in thoughts of the Olympics, we've got some water from Rio, just take three teaspoons. It'll be just a drink. You wouldn't think it's not a big deal and look at it and go, it looks like water, because you've been warned there's something small, even invisible to our eye, but it has a pervasive influence. That's what Jesus is saying here about what's happening in the lives of the disciples. This, the yeast, the analogy, he's just using a metaphor here. He's not saying that's really yeast that's in their system. He's saying there's something in your life. Beware, watch out, warning. You can't even see it, but that's the problem. That's why you can't understand. What's the danger? He says it's the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. And we've seen the Pharisees and Herod through the book of Mark. And you couldn't pick people that are more different than each other. A more stark contrast. Those of you who have been with us, think about what we know of the Pharisees. The Pharisees, we've talked about their hypocrisy. We've talked about their confrontation with Jesus. We've talked about how they try to make Jesus and who they want him to be. But when you just look at them in society as a Jew at this time, these are the most moral people of the day. These were the legalists. These are the ones that didn't think it was about what was happening in your heart, but it was about your behavior that really mattered the most. And so they had these high standards. They wouldn't work on the Sabbath. They would wash their hands in between courses of meals in order to, be, to observe the religious rituals. And so the disciples, if you're looking at them, they're going, I don't measure up to those guys. But then Herod, Herod's the other end of the spectrum. Remember Herod from Mark chapter 6? This is a guy who's hungry for power. He's materialistic. He's filled with lust. He ends up killing, cutting off the head of John the Baptist because his wife's daughter, don't ask me to explain that right now, his wife's daughter dances for him in a way that pleases him and some other men and says, I'll give you up to half my kingdom. She asks for John the Baptist's head. So you've got like the picture of debauchery and the picture of morality. And if you're the disciples, you're going, well, we're not like them, but I sure ain't like him. 
Because the disciples have left everything to follow Jesus. The disciples have been used in miracles. The disciples are committed. So it's not about looking at all the extremes of both those groups. What do they have in common? Well, in our immediate context, and context almost always answers these questions, in verses 11 through 12, the Pharisees are just asked for a sign. They want to believe without requiring faith. What do we find out about Herod? In Luke chapter 23, you can look on your own, but Jesus, before, as he's on trial to be crucified, and he committed no crimes, the crime that he goes to the cross for is yours, mine. He goes before Herod, and Herod says, do a sign. Let me see a miracle. And what it illustrates is their lack of belief. What Jesus is warning them about is unbelief. And so if you're the disciples, you go, well, I'm not like the Pharisees and I'm not like Herod, but we, believe, we left everything to follow you and, and we're being used. And so I'm not asking you this question today. I'm not asking you, are you a Christian? I'm not asking you, do you pray? I'm not asking, do you read your Bible? I'm not asking if God's using you. I'm asking, is it potentially because of your lack of faith, your unbelief, that you don't understand what God's doing in your life? Because that's what's happening here with these guys. That's the warning. And so what is faith? Well, faith is, we talked about faith is different than just belief that believe, we believe facts that don't require any faith. But faith we have to put into action based on that we trust in the person that we're putting the things into action for. And so what are, how do we live by faith? We talk about not being clear on God's plan. Well, he's given us hundreds of statements that are clear about his plan for our life. They're called commandments in Scripture. Be holy. Love one another. Carry each other's burdens. Share the gospel. Be generous. He's clearly stated these things to us. How do we do that? Well, it's by faith that we trust the one who's given us this command actually wants what's best for us. So he also gives us these promises. And so when we're in these circumstances, that we then filter our circumstances through the promises of God. I will never leave you or forsake you. Lo, I am with you always. He promises his presence. And so if we truly believed his presence, how would that change the way we live in our current circumstances, those of you who are struggling to figure out his plan? What about his guidance? God's not a God of confusion. Maybe you're wanting him to answer something that's different, and so you're not getting the answer you want is why you're confused, but he's guiding. He will guide us. Maybe, maybe you need his peace. He promises a peace that surpasses understanding. And so you cling to that promise in those moments. That is what it is to live by faith. And the disciples, they apparently were in danger of not doing that because Jesus says, warning, you're not getting it. Do you not understand? You don't get this? You have eyes to see, but you don't see? And he hits them with these questions at the end. He tells them this first warning. The warning is unbelief. The danger is unbelief. The thing that will stop us from understanding God's plan is a lack of faith. And then he says in verse, at the end of verse 18, and don't you remember? He gives them all those questions. And really the questions are for us as the reader. They don't even have time to answer the questions. In verse 17, if we're going to put that back up on the screen, Jesus says he's aware of their discussion about the bread. They don't understand what's happening. And so then Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? That's not what this is about. Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? And they were hardened. You see hardening of hearts throughout the scripture. And sometimes it's outward rebelliousness. That wasn't the disciples here. Sometimes it's just misunderstanding. That's what Jesus is saying here. Your heart's hardened? It's like, it's like the person who hears the truth of the gospel over and over and over again and eventually they start to become desensitized to it. It's like they've seen him do these miracles and seen him do these, yeah, we get the miracles. We know you can do miracles. And the faith starts to fade. It's the danger of being a Christian for a long time. Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? And then it's like he pauses on this one. 
Because he's going to start talking about this question. And don't you remember? Because the second danger is this. The danger is that we forget the work of God. Danger number two is the danger that we forget. We forget what God's done in the past in the scriptures. We forget what he's done in our lives. And worst off, we forget the one who actually did it. And so you see what happens here as he's trying to remind them there's a power in memory. And so he's trying to take them on this trip down memory lane. He says, don't you remember? And then verse 19. When I broke the five loaves and the 5,000, how many baskets full of pieces of bread did you pick up? And so it's like your teacher says to you in grade school, pop quiz. I don't know if they're scrambling at that moment. Bartholomew, you were there. Peter, what was it like? John, take out a piece of paper. How many baskets full were left that time? They get the question right. Look at it. 12, they replied. Verse 20. And when I broke the seven loaves in front of the 4,000, how many baskets full, and he uses different words for baskets here, he's alluding to those specific miracles, how many baskets full of pieces did you pick up then? They answered, seven. And it's not, the next verse is not, you guys passed the quiz, here's your driver's permit. And it's not anger either. It's like a pleading. Look at verse 21. He said to them, do you, you still not understand? Like, you know the facts. You could retell the story. But do you, do you understand? And so what's he saying to them here? Well, remember what's happening. Verse 14, they're upset because there's only one loaf of bread. Verse 16, they're arguing about whose fault it is there's one loaf of bread. And Jesus says to them, why are you talking about this one loaf? Why are you talking about the, you're talking about one loaf of bread. Do you not remember when there were 5,000 men plus women plus children and some little kids lunch and I fed all of them and how much was left over? 12. Okay, okay got the, you know the number. Do you remember when there was 4,000? How much was left over that time? How, and he could go on. It, it's, he doesn't make it so remedial as this. He could say, and you have one loaf of bread and there's 13 of us. You don't think I got this? See, the problem for them was it's like they're looking at their, do we do this? They're looking at their circumstances. They're thinking about the mundane. How am I going to pay this bill? What's going to happen with this? How am I going to, and why is this? And how, why did this happen? And all they're thinking about is that, do you forget who's in the boat with you? He could feed the whole world with that loaf of bread if he wanted to. You're worried about the 13 of you having enough. He's saying, I provided for you above and beyond every time. Do you guys Still, that's the key word in verse 21, by the way. Some of your translators say, not yet. You, not yet? You still, you still, still don't understand? Which is double in saying, one, you don't, but two, there's hope that you will. Do you still not, you don't get it? It's not about, forget the crumbs and the baskets. And, like, Jesus is screaming out that he is the bread of life. He's born in Bethlehem. That is literally translated, house of bread. He feeds the 4,000. He feeds the 5,000. John chapter 6, he preaches a message, I am the bread of life. Before His last meal with his disciples, he breaks bread, says, this is my body. He will provide. Do you not get who's with you? It's like I was telling you last week about how I was uh, struggling to understand what God was doing in my life with the cell phone and the cars and all the different stuff that happened and... I sat down with some different friends because sometimes I don't see stuff. You know, I'm reading the Bible. I'm like, oh, I'm not getting it. Tell me, tell me, show me blind spots. Tell me what's happening with biblical relationships, right? And so one friend said to me, I think you have a hard time receiving God's love. 
Well, that's hard to hear. Preach about God's love all the time. Some tell you, you you don't receive it yourself. So I'm working through that and praying about those things. On the treadmills, listening to a sermon by John Ortberg. John's a pastor at a church out in California, and he likes to surf. I don't surf, so I don't understand all the surfing etiquette, but he starts explaining it in this story. He said, I was out surfing this week, and he said it was unique and rare. He's out in California, and he said, it was a beautiful day, great water, and I was the only one out there. I had the water all to myself. He said, there's one guy that was up on the beach, huge guy, said he was like the size of Goliath, and he's up there doing, you know, martial arts, which I always just, in my mind, as I was listening to this on the treadmill, I, there's only one karate move I know crane kick, right? So I'm picturing this guy like doing crane kick up there and he's nine feet tall like Goliath up on the beach. He said, but I'm out there in the water all by myself. I'm just enjoying, you know, the sun and the water waiting for the next wave to come by. And he said that surfers don't put their boards right next to each other, but he said, then out of nowhere comes this little kid and he puts his board right up next to John's board and he says, hey mister, how are you? And he looks over and he said, this kid, the way he described him, he says, just like a wisp of a kid. He said, he didn't even need a surfboard. He's about as heavy as a potato chip. Like the way he could have just carried him right to me. And he said, but he's super friendly. He says, what's your name? He says, my name's John. He says, what's your name? He says, my name's Shane. So Shane, you know, what, how long have you been coming out here surfing? He said, about seven years. He said, how old are you, Shane? He says, about eight years old. <laughs> so I thought to myself, what, really, one? And he said, I like surfing because you meet so many friendly people, the little kid said to him. And John, a pastor, with some wisdom, he says, well, I think you meet friendly people because you're so friendly, Shane. And that's why you're meeting so many friendly people. And then the, the kid said, can I call you uncle? And I was like, I'm on the treadmill. I'm like watching the headlines on the news. But then I heard that. I'm like, well, that's weird. Where did that come from? And then he said, you can, yeah, you can call me uncle if you want to. And he said, Shane, can I ask you, you know, how, how did you get out here? Because he said, I'm just out there surfing, enjoying the, out of nowhere, this kid. I didn't even see where he came from. He just swims up and he puts his board next to my board. And he says, well, my, my dad brings me out here. He says, your dad? And he said, as he said that, the huge guy from the beach says, hey, son. And he was there the whole time. And it got me thinking about my heavenly father. And how oftentimes I don't even acknowledge that he's there. But he's there. And as I was running, I thought, well, how my wife tells me, I grew up in a non-Christian home, my dad couldn't teach me about God. He didn't know him himself. And so he wasn't a godly father, wasn't a godly example, wasn't a great dad. Well, my, mom, my uh, mom ended up acting like a dad. My wife tells me that my heavenly father is really like a father for me. I've had other friends say stuff like that. And then I got another friend telling me I have a hard time receiving God's love. It's like he's there in these circumstances going, I'm here. Do you, do you see who's here? I love you. And you go back on the record and see, well, he did give up his son Jesus so that I could have a relationship with him. Don't forget. There's a danger in forgetting. Why is it in the Bible they always talk about the Red Sea and the parting of the Red Sea? Only one generation experienced that. Don't forget the God who did that can free you from bondage. Don't forget the God who's told the sun to stand still, he can, if you're circumstanced and you can't see a way out, how long is it going to take us to grasp the one promise that nothing's impossible with God? Talk about living by faith. This one pro that's just one promise. Can we just get that one? If we get that one, do you realize how much it would change the church, this church, the church in America, the world? How about this other one? God actually loves you. Like, we say that, it's the most simple, it's like Christianity one-on-one, -on -one, and I know it, but what if it went from here to here? 
Don't forget, he raised his son Jesus from the dead for you. And you go through and you see in the scriptures, why is it that, why do they set up these pillars of stones whenever they cross the Jordan, set up the pillar of stone? Uh, Abraham, you sacrifice Isaac, and then God provides a sacrifice, set up the pillar of stone. Why is that happening? So they don't forget who it is. Not just what happened, they can retell the facts. How many loaves? Twelve. How many loaves? Seven. Ding, 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 got it. But you don't get it. You don't get who. And so Christian, I know that's not everybody here, but Christian, let me ask you this. Do you remember? Do you remember your salvation? Do you remember when you felt so convicted of your sin that you decided you weren't going to try and do it on your own anymore, that you were going to throw yourself at the cross, that you were going to then submit to what Jesus did for you rather than trying to do stuff on your own? I hope you never get over that. I hope that wrecks you and you can, like Isaiah, say, I am ruined. And then his grace overwhelms you. Do you remember? Do you remember the first time God answered prayer in your life? Not the first time someone told a story about answered prayer. Not the first time you read about answered prayer in the Bible. Not the, but what for you. When you prayed, and it wasn't just like, I had a need, and so the person I shared the prayer request met the need. No, it was like, God did it. Do you remember? Remember how real he is? And when you realize he wasn't just out there working in the world, but he was working in your world. Do you remember the first time that you opened the Bible, and it wasn't that you were just reading a story, but it was like God spoke to you. Like the words came off the page. It doesn't happen every time, but do you remember the first time? See, there's a reason why it's wise to, to have a journal, to write some of these things down, because we forget. And we forget that the same God who did those things in the past is still with us in the present. Hi, son. Hi, daughter. I mean, you're doing your thing. I'm here. And I'm sovereign over this. And I got this. I will never leave you or forsake you. I've commanded you how to act in these circumstances. And when you struggle with it, I've given you, let's not call them promises for a second, commitments, because he always keeps them. I've given you commitments. I will give you peace. I will give you the words. I will give you the strength. I will be with you. What if we actually filtered our lives through those promises? That would be living by faith. But the danger is that we caught in unbelief. The danger is that we forget, that we don't remember. And here's the glorious truth. The glorious truth is that understanding God's plan is a glorious process. If I could underline that last word, that would be the key to understanding this. That understanding God's plan is glorious. It's going to bring him glory. If you could focus on it, it, you'd be overwhelmed by his majesty and his person and his power and his plan in your life. It is glorious, but it's a process. He who began a good work in you will be faithful. There's a process to complete that work. And that's what I believe he's showing the disciples in this next passage of Scripture in verses 22 through 26. Look at it with me. We'll read it together. And then we'll talk about it. Verse 22. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. We see a lot of blind people in the Bible. Blindness was more popular then than it is now. They didn't have the remedies that we have. Uh, they didn't have even the knowledge of hygiene that we have. So more people became blind. And then you have domestic traumas and different things that would take place, and they were left without the help, even in the moment, that could have possibly cured their eyesight. And so there's a lot of people that are blind, and we see Jesus heal a lot of blind people. This is the only place where we see a two-stage miracle. Why is that? Watch this. 
He took the blind man by the hand, led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? And Jesus doesn't normally ask that either. Think about all the miracles we've seen. The leper, the lame guy, different people come. They got the shriveled hand. He's like, hey, how's it doing? There's not like a take two, call me in the morning. No rehab. Jesus asked the guy, so are you healed? Do you see? That alone is unique. Look at the answer. He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. So it didn't quite take. Maybe this case is just a little bit too hard for Jesus. That's not what's going on. Look at the next verse. Once more, Jesus put his hand on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Verse 25, there's the three verbs here to, make, to emphasize how clear he could see. His eyes were open, sight was restored, saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, saying, Don't go into the village. Don't go back to Bethsaida. They've seen enough miracles, and the judgment on them was going to be even worse. They see another one. It's his mercy, it's his grace. But why two stages here? What is he doing here? And the first thing I want you to see, and this is like a side lesson. <laughs> Is it the miracle? He had compassion on this man. He loved this man. He heals this man's eyes. There's lots of that. If we just jumped into the Bible and just read that story, we could talk about those things about Jesus. When we look at the bigger situation here, it's not even about this man. So side truth is this. Sometimes God's plan in your life isn't even about you. So the whole story is ultimately about Jesus, by the way. A lot of times we make it about us. But sometimes the very things that are happening in your life aren't even about you. He's doing this, I believe, as a parable for the disciples. He's teaching the disciples here. He's just talked about their spiritual blindness, verse 18. Do you have eyes but you don't see? Do you not understand? Verse 17, verse 21. Do you still not understand? And then you, go, you can go all the way back to Mark chapter 6. And they had the feeding of the 5,000. And they didn't understand. Why? Because their spiritual sight, their hearts were hardened. And so blindness oftentimes is a metaphor for a lack of spiritual sight, spiritual insight, spiritual sensitivity. We've seen a picture of spiritual blindness. You know what's going to happen next? Peter's going to say a statement in verses 27 through 30. You're the Christ. And you're going to go, now they see. And then you're going to read verses 31 through 33, and you're going to go, oh, they still don't get it. They don't see clearly. What Jesus is doing here is he's giving them a living parable of what's going on in their lives. You don't see. Sometimes there's, a little, there's like glimpses. There's moments. You don't quite get it. And isn't that how most of us are? And we watch the disciples and we can make fun of them. Like, how do you not get this? And it'd be comical if we couldn't identify with them. Because we do the same stuff. And so what's going to happen in their lives? Well, they're gonna make, he's, Peter's going to make this profession of faith and then they're going to not get it. There's going to be suffering and then just the elders and the chief priests are going to kill me. No, 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 not you. You don't have a clue. He, gets, he goes from like the best moment in his life to get behind me Satan in like seconds. You don't see clearly... All right, well, maybe they'll get it as it gets a little bit further and Jesus teaches some more. You get to Mark chapter 10, verses 45, and he says that famous verse, the Son of Man didn't come to serve, but to be served, to give his life as a ransom for many. Now you get it, right? Now you understand that I'm going to die. You have a debt before God. It's your sin, your rebellion against him, and I'm going to pay that debt by putting my life on the cross. You get it, right? They don't get it. Then he dies on the cross. They don't get it. Then he raises from the dead. They still don't get it. Mark is over with, and they haven't gotten it. Which should be encouraging to you and to me when we're going, what are you doing? I don't get it. But I've got these commands, and I've got these promises, so I'll live by faith in these situations. And it's like, it's like the verse that Paul shares in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that famous chapter on love. 
But at the end, he gives this verse that applies to so many circumstances. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, in verse 12, he says this. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then, at the end of time, we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. How well does he know us and we're going to know? And so then what they, we can see, but we don't see yet. Do you know why? Because we're still in process. Underline that word, process. Here's one of the difficult parts about the process. The process often involves pain. And most of you can testify to that through your own experiences. But you look at the experiences of the disciples. Jesus is opening their eyes. He's showing them here. I have the power to open their eyes. See what happens with this man? He doesn't see clearly yet. So you go to verse 24, and you see what's happening here. The guy says, I see people. They look like trees. There's lots of things you could say about that verse. One is, the guy probably wasn't born blind, because he knows what trees look like. The second is, the disciples are probably a lot taller than we think they are, because he thinks they're trees walking around out there. So Peter's like 6'8". Just kidding. The point is, he doesn't see clearly like them. But then verse 25, verb after verb after verb, it's clear, 20-20 vision. And what Jesus is saying is, you don't, you don't see it right now. I can give you clear sight. Same one that can feed, same one that can part the waters, same one that can calm the storm, same one that's stronger. You can trust me, and I'll give you sight, but you've got to keep walking. And the process, how does the process go for these guys? Well, they don't get it in the next part of the passage. And they don't get it in the book of Mark. But what happens in Mark? Well, it's pretty painful stuff. Their best friend, Jesus. Their leader, Jesus. Their Messiah, Jesus. He gets betrayed by one of them. We oftentimes talk about Jesus being betrayed. What did it feel like to be Peter and John? And We thought you were one of us, Judas. And then... To see the things that Jesus said actually happen, How, what was it like to see your best friend crucified? What was it like to see your Messiah, your, the one that you left the nets, you dropped everything, your safety, your security, hanging on a cross, dying a criminal's death, being crucified on a Roman cross, and there hasn't been one crime against him? Because he was on the cross for your sins and for mine. That had to be painful. Part of the process. And then even after he dies, what do they do? They go, they hide in a room, read in John chapter 20. They're terrified because they think it's going to happen to them. And then Jesus comes, and what does he give? He gives a promise. Peace. My peace I give you. And what does he give? He gives a command. You go. I'm sending you. Just the Father sent me. You go. And what's it like for them when they don't have it all written out in verses? They don't have an audible word from Jesus. And they're getting crucified upside down. They're getting boiled alive because 10 of them get martyred. That's pain. It's all part of the process. You trust that I'm, I'm going to do what's best. And we know because we can look back on the story, God uses that. The blood of the martyrs is the seeds of the church to spread the church. He's going to use it for his glory. He's going to use it for their good. He's going to use it for what's best because we can trust him because he's sovereign and we can say all those things. And then we get into our own lives. And do you really trust that? And what many of us want is we want what the friends wanted here in this passage. Did you see back in verse 22? The friends came to Jesus and said, just touch this man. Because they're thinking, well, if Jesus just touches him, then he'll be healed, he'll be able to see, everything will be good, his life will be all better. Just wants a one-time experience. Many of us think, if I just heard the right sermon, if I just prayed the right prayer, if I just had this moment with God, then it would all make sense. And the reality is we're all in process. It's a glorious process because he's revealing his glory in us. He's making us more like his son, Jesus. That's the process. 
so then people will see Jesus in us, so that we will know Jesus more ourselves, and so that Jesus will be known through us as part of the process. That's the plan. That's what all the commands point to. That's what all the promises have us cling to. That's where he's moving us towards. And so will you understand it all today? No. But you can take another step in the process by faith. I remember who it is that's saying, you're my son, you're my daughter. I love you. And I got this. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we are very finite. We are very limited. Limited in our understanding, limited in our knowledge, limited in our time, limited in our strength, limited in our intellect, but you are all-knowing and all-powerful and ever-present, and you care for us so much. I pray for my friends here that they would know the height and the depth, the length and the width of your love, this love that surpasses understanding. I pray you'd fill us with it, overflowing in our hearts, and make us like your son, Jesus Christ. Give us better clarity and understanding your plan today than we had yesterday. God, we know in the end you win, and we trust you. We thank you for dying for us. We know that all your promises are yes in your son, Jesus Christ. We know that you loved us so much you wouldn't hold back your own son. And Father, I pray if there are any here that don't know your son, Jesus as Savior, that today would be the day of salvation. And they would confess their sins. They would call upon Jesus to be their Savior. And I pray for those of us who do know your son, Jesus as Savior. Help us to not be hardened in our hearts, to, to, to grow accustomed to your working. Help us to rejoice like we rejoiced last week when people were getting baptized, just to rejoice every time we see a life change and to know that you're still changing our lives. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.